Well, maybe I can throw in sure. <laughs> my single contribution tonight. Okay, let's do that. Um, so I was thinking about um, the issue of automatic online citation generators. Mm. Um, so I'm talking about uh, uh, sites that will, as best they can, spit out full citations for the resources mm-hmm. pages in various academic styles. Right. So, you can use um, AMA or APA or Chicago. Mm-hmm. MLA, ABC, DAF. FBI, <laughs> um, CIA, ATF. Yeah, yeah. UFO. ETC, LOL, AOL. Yeah, all those. Um <laughs> and my my students listening may or may not know which of those are not academic styles. <laughs> um, just kidding. My students do great. I don't know about other people's students. Do you uh, do you um, have them cite their sources in AOL format? In AOL. <laughs> oh my god! I I really want to work in um, AOL and LOL and mm, see if I can get them. Yeah. Maybe I'll make up some some strategies. The the LOL manual of style. Oh my goodness. This probably exists, but if it doesn't, I'm going to bogart it and make this happen. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Robots for All. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 34. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a conversation on a Facebook page for directors of writing centers, um, a private group that I belong to on Facebook. And a post came up recently about this issue, and then a conversation ensued in the comment section. But it's an interesting question. So basically, um, one gal who runs a writing center posted and um, was sort of dismayed and wanted wanted to hear some feedback because she's not sure what to do, but she knows that she's upset Mm -hmm. because she just learned that at her institution, um, the library staff heavily promotes the use of online citation generators. Mm -hmm. And um, she and her center absolutely do not promote the use of such generators um, for a variety of reasons. And so she was, she was just sort of wanting to hear a a casual conversation about how other people um, feel about this issue. Um, And some of the, I'm looking through the, the threads, quite a few people who, who said that they aren't as concerned about citation generators um, said things that I'm, I'm sort of in line with things like, Um, It's not that these tools in themselves are bad, but we always encourage students to double check against the proper citation style guide, Mm. Um, which is what I tell my students. I say there's nothing um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to save some time or more efficiently collect information, Mm -hmm. because in some cases, if you can provide a URL or in the case of a journal article, a DOI, the, the stable code for for an article online. Um, in a lot of cases, it will pull as much information as it can. And so you don't even have to um, give it the information that it then formats for you. Mm-hmm. It will pull it straight right. from the internet like magic. Um, so it's extremely handy. I've used it in my own scholarship. Um, 
But yeah, so sort of my thinking and what I tell my students too is that they're more than welcome to use these things, but they had better double check the results Mm -hmm. against a style guide so that they um, make sure it's accurate. Um, More importantly, that they have enough of the information that's expected. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was thinking about that um, with some of the things you were saying about when we lose the context of that process, when the human doesn't have to go through that process, the knowledge and the value is lost along with it. Mm-hmm. So so I'm sort of constantly reiterating to my students that the goal of any citation style is not to um, be fussy and make you, um, you know, complete this little word formula that has no point. Um, the goal is to be transparent with the reader. Right. What did you find? Where did you find it? And could I find it again mm-hmm. if I wanted to? You know? Yeah. It's, it's give them the information. It's a form of accountability. It's it's mm-hmm. saying, you know, these are the sources I'm citing. So if you doubt how I am interpreting what they said or whether I'm reporting it or whether I'm the only person reporting this thing, if I'm citing them to support me, then you should mm-hmm. go check them out. Right. And, you know, right, that's right. the reason we have standards is so, you know, why there's standard formats for that is so everyone has the same opportunity to go check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. And I, I would say, you know, too, like I'm I'm kind of with you, like <laughs> the the go ahead and use it, but you might want to check. <laughs> right. Um, and and kind of the thing, I don't know, I'm not a teacher, but I, I think my stance if I was a teacher and assuming whatever department I was in allowed me to have a stance on this <laughs> and didn't just have a policy, um, I think my stance would be feel free to use them. I don't care how you use them as long as, you know, you're you're doing all the rest of the work yourself. Uh, but just understand it doesn't matter what it gives you. You are still 100% accountable for the result. Right. So if something is malformatted or there's information missing or you end up with information pertaining to a different source and I happen to catch it, then Mm -hmm. it's your grade and there's no, no blaming the machine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like saying, well, I, I'm sorry that I said that the war of 1812 started in 1799, but that's what it said on Wikipedia. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you you don't get that. <laughs> you mm-hmm. shouldn't have looked on Wikipedia, or you should have double checked. Um, right? Yeah, you are you are you're responsible for using the tool responsibly. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a good example though because I, I would assume you know from what you're saying that the complaint that the people who didn't like this had was that the students weren't learning to do this work themselves. Um, and it reminds me of an example in in Nicholas Carr's uh, The Glass Cage where he's talking about um, spell check and how the sort of classical form um, that a lot of us are still mostly used to is in programs like Word and a lot of word processors, you invoke spell check and it steps you through your document and shows you what it found. And so you're getting a bit of a spelling lesson and made to think twice about some of the words you chose. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas a lot, a lot of modern systems, particularly mobile, which more and more people are doing real work on, things like smartphones and tablets, but even even in you know desktop systems, Apple has started incorporating this on the Mac, and I'm pretty sure it's getting there on Windows, at least the touch versions of Windows, mm-hmm. where there's autocorrect. You start you're typing along just like you are on your phone, and it starts to fix words for you. Right. And if you're not paying much attention, it will fix words kind of humorously, but. Um, it, it's, it stops being a process where you have an opportunity to learn something about the thing the machine is facilitating you doing right and becomes a process where the machine is just doing it for you. Yeah. No, I like that that idea, the difference between especially, um, yeah, I think like you said, Word has started doing this where it will, if you, for instance, transpose two letters in a common word, mm-hmm. 
as soon as you hit the space bar, it's right. already corrected. Yeah, and, and Word's a good, that's a good example. There are some in Word. It's not as aggressive as on, like, a mobile system. It's not like right. Apple um, fixing your ducking text messages every time you try to swear. <laughs> uh, but it, it is there for very common, very easily fixed things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like, and I'm just thinking of my students, too. I'm thinking of that context of actually trying to learn and review and revise. There is a big difference between the word being fixed instantaneously for you where you may not even, if you're, especially if you're not looking at the screen, how Mm -hmm. could you realize that it's doing it for you, that you've made an error? Um, And having to manually run spell check. Mm -hmm. I think that process can be huge, even though there are, you know, there are times where Microsoft Word is flagging a rule that doesn't really apply. Right. Um, Right. I I almost universally turn off. The first thing I do on any new setup is I turn off the grammar checking on Word. <laughs> For instance, something that it will always flag that I don't need and is usually just slowing me down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but the difference between it fixing it right away for you, mm-hmm. whereas if you just go through to go find all the squiggly lines of death, as I call them, <laughs> um, manually running mm-hmm. it makes you have to revisit it and mm-hmm. re-see it. Right. Well, and I mean, the squiggly lines of death are interesting too. Uh, I don't I don't think he cited this that specific example. But the underlining of misspelled words is a very useful feature that saves a lot of time. Um, it can call your attention to mistakes without you having to invoke a different mode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, show you even as you're going along, and your eyes can catch them and go back. And um, but on the other hand, you're what you're not <laughs> learning to do is to read your own prose and see all of the stupid little typos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the question would be with, you know, and, and I think in this case, the answer is no, that's not the most useful skill in the history of writing. But, <laughs> you know, is the skill that you are losing the chance to practice by invoking the automatic features more valuable than what you could be doing with that time otherwise? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think you've you've got it. There are always trade-offs with these questions. Um, yeah, in this particular case, what I'm thinking about is how, um, and I'm thinking of my writing center work in particular, where, uh, students are often reading aloud anyway. Mm -hmm. And so often if a student is reading their own work, if there are things like transposed letters, typos, things like that, um, the student will often not see it even when they're reviewing a printed Mm -hmm. version of, of the writing, they will just say what they meant. And often it's the consultant who has to point out, did you notice that you said then, but here it's then or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so in that case, I would say, like, I'm not sure that we can totally learn to <laughs> slow down <laughs> and, and see every letter. Right. Um, On the other hand, yeah, does that, yeah. I, I maybe it does, in Writing Center Scholarship, does that tendency go back far enough that that was true? We know that was true before modern computer word processing. Um, I think it is inherent to what our brains are doing when we read. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that this has changed as a result of technology, but I'm thinking about the different strategies that your your brain is actually employing when you read. So this comes up sometimes in, in memes on the internet now. <laughs> um, things where um, in a study at Harvard, blah, 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 you've got a, a paragraph of text in which... Um, the author has scrambled all the interior letters mm-hmm. of every word. So only the first and last letter of every word are the same. Right. Um, and our brains really easily unscramble them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause the basic idea is 
um, when we read, we're typically never reading every character. Mm-hmm. Um, we're chunking. Our brains. What's that? We're chunking. Yeah, our brains are looking at the shape of a word, not the letters themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and and even yeah. I think depending on the reader and what they're reading, very often you know whole whole parts of sentences just get taken in as as a oh, unit, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which is why unusual and creative word choice is sometimes important. You know, slow mm-hmm. your reader down, get their attention, get your point across. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, these are super interesting questions because then at the same time. Uh, you know, certain technology not only doesn't give us opportunities for that type of review or even wanting to review, um, but I'm thinking of, um, you know, in modes like Twitter and texting, um, we we drop words completely. You know, we drop words, we mm-hmm. drop letters. Um, yeah, I try to avoid the dropping letters. I find mm-hmm. that offensive. <laughs> I'm like, fit your what? words, in. fit your words in. Oh, I see. Yeah, I get. I you don't I like get, the abreast. Yeah, on Twitter, I mean, I do. I do make word. I do make choices in my sentence structure, and I state things more tersely than I otherwise might like. Um, but I use. I capitalize. I use proper punctuation. I don't use. I generally don't use abbreviations unless they're like you know FBI. You know. Um, I, I, ah, yes, the citation <laughs> style FBI. Yeah. I I try really hard just to write in plain normal prose. And I know mm-hmm. that means I can write fewer things, but I think it means I write better things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize how rampant it was, but there there are certain. I, I guess I've seen it more with businesses or companies who, um, yeah, who are trying to fit in more information about the upcoming sale or the mm-hmm. whatever going on. Well, and they've promotion. they've hired some millennial with an advertising degree who texts and <laughs> tweets on her own account that way all day long. <laughs> oh, that was so there. disdainful. <laughs> There's, there's a tech journalist who I, I like her writing a lot. I am a big fan of her work as a journalist. Uh-huh. But I had to stop following her on Twitter because she doesn't capitalize or use punctuation in her mm. tweets. And I just I find it offensive. Like I find it I find it <laughs> I find it distasteful when just Joe random person on the street does it. I find it inexcusable when a journalist or other professional writer who is not, you know, writing in that style all the time because of some sort of political stance. Mm. Um writes on Twitter as though they're texting. Hmm. I'm like, you do this for a living. You can figure out 140 characters uh-huh. of normal prose. Well, but I mean, even when it's things like the abbreviations, because that's really what I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. not so much the the caps. Because caps you can do no matter if you're... Oh, yeah, no, yeah. caps is not a space saver, but I put it in the same category as, as punctuation. Hmm. Abbreviation is a little bit more excusable if you're using real abbreviations. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm thinking of both people who will a b b r period. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. They're they're shortening words like attention or mm-hmm. I don't even know weekly w k l y or something, dropping vowels, things like that. I'll um, have to get back to number two u letter u. Yeah, yeah, the numbers or back with no c. <laughs> wow, that'd be weird. But, mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah, about that. Yeah, I bet you go search well, Twitter right now. You're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Well, is that a form of all of this, though? Trying I, I to... do think so, um, now that you mention it. <laughs> Topical. Because <laughs> um, a lot of this is about, you know, taking effort out, taking time out, taking steps out of a process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and and I would argue... I. I 
think there's a philosophical point to be made here that after you take a certain number of steps out of a process, well, at some point the process isn't there anymore. Um, if you take a certain amount of labor out of a job, eventually the job's not there anymore. I, I would if you also stop moving your feet. You're not running anymore. Right, <laughs> exactly. And and I would argue that you know if you're if you're writing something, even something as short as a tweet, um, after you subtract a certain numbers of convention of language, you're not writing anymore. Hmm. Um, although I would probably draw that line <laughs> a lot closer to um, again normal prose than would a lot of people using the platform. But mm-hmm. um, but they you know the people who are doing that they've got a they do have they have different priorities. Um, invoking the name of the podcast, they're putting a priority on, I need to get this thought out and I don't want to spend the time to figure out how to do it in fewer characters. But they are just saying it in fewer characters. No, I'm sorry to say it, to say it in fewer words, not fewer characters to say Mm -hmm. it in fewer words. Fair. Because to use full words, you need more, you, you get fewer words if you aren't going to abbreviate them. If letter U aren't going to abbreviate them. But you just had to say letter. <laughs> That's really funny how verbally, like, abbreviations take so much longer, longer to say. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes, that's uh, uh, Max's paradox. Yeah, well, I mean, think yeah. about, uh, it's a very internet thing. Think about this, the, uh, the front of most websites, at least in their classical form. Um, they all began with WWW, which is a very short string of characters that takes a lot of syllables to say. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. World Wide Web. <laughs> um, no, that makes me think of another thing. In uh, when I, most of the prose I write, I avoid using the, the slash, um, the backslash. Um, if I'm taking notes or something or making a list, obviously it doesn't matter. Um, just because you, you can't really verbalize the slash well. Mm-hmm. So why not just say and or or um, or construct the sentence differently or just pick one of the words? Because mm-hmm. um, often, and it came up in student writing this last week, and um, I was working with one student, and he finished reading a sentence aloud, and then he stopped and said, should I even use that? <laughs> I was like, well... As you probably just noticed, like it's weird to verbalize slash because you don't want to say slash. That's not its function. <laughs> the slash doesn't mean anything. It's mm-hmm. it's just performing itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's like, well, do you prefer one of those words or would or be more appropriate? And so we, we mm-hmm. talked through that. But it is funny how uh, in capturing the idea, it is efficient because you can throw both terms down and say, uh, I mean, essay slash paper. Um, I don't know which one I want to say mm-hmm. yet. Um, right. But when you go to verbalize it, it's like, no, that that's not <laughs> that's not clear. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the other thing I was thinking about <laughs> to broaden out from, from all my um, linguistic musings. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that question today of um, how automation and all of these things will affect individual careers. So sort of like you said, maybe this would fall under the micro question of what makes my job more efficient or mm-hmm. effective, but at the same time, what what types of processes and technologies could be running me out of my job? Right. Well, and I'll, <laughs> so, I'll, yeah. th- I'll throw a bomb back your way. You can keep going, but, but oh, something yeah. that just so you know where I'm going to go if we want to talk about that one. I would mm-hmm. also ask, is that even a problem? Do you mean big picture, big picture? Well, the for for you personally, individually, I'm not talking big picture, big picture right there, but for you mm-hmm. as an individual, 
is automation running you out of a job a problem? Mm. Which I might I might come back and try to reframe as maybe not, but <laughs> sure, sure. Well, because the stuff you were talking about with cars work, um, the answer would be maybe there are trade offs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's not a problem because that means my attention and skills and resources could be used elsewhere, right? Um, or in something more specialized. That's something I keep thinking about too. Is this idea of specialization? Um, you know, if students don't need my time and attention to learn about citation styles because the internet is, is being helpful in that realm, mm-hmm. um, then do I get to spend my attention on something different? Um, right. Yeah. No, I was thinking about that idea um, and sort of laughing because, uh, and I mean, there, there are a number of things specific to my discipline that, you know, we could get into and people could argue about and people may disagree with me, but... Um, I think because I work in communication fields, um, so even if I, I did not stay in English and composition forever, I also have background in speech communication. Mm-hmm. So oh, for sure. In a way, I feel like I'm never not going to be useful to the world, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it certainly like seems like you've got more runway. You know, there's yeah, there's yeah. there's going to be a point at which, like I was saying saying a few weeks no, that was just last week. Why am I thinking that's a few weeks ago? <laughs> I, I made a crack last week about robots writing novels. I mean, that's a long ways off. It will probably happen if we right. keep going and don't blow ourselves up first. But <laughs> it's a long way off still. Mm-hmm. A robot writing well, a competent novel. And the same goes right. for other other similarly writerly jobs. Like a, a computer program now could probably assemble a decent enough news article if there was a standardized format for facts that were oncoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, there are probably companies doing that right now with press releases based on, you know, stock markets and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I would say we're probably a long ways away from robots being effective at writing ad campaigns, mm-hmm. for instance. Right. Because of the human element. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No. I mean, even in my field, um, there are programs that exist that have tried to um, assess student writing as well or as robustly as a group of humans can. Mm-hmm. Um, and the results are really, they're super rocky. Um, sure. Basically, it's still very hard to do with the same level of attention mm-hmm. um, or type of attention that um, we as humans want from our assessments right now. Um, but, I mean, people are working on it. Like, people are actively working on it. Um, yeah. So you're quite right. The robots are coming. <laughs> the robots are here. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and, not... and that's the thing. They are here. They're yeah. totally mm-hmm. here. They're 100% mm-hmm. here. It's just, it's, it's, um, there's a, uh, I almost said a great dismal quote because that's his Twitter name. But <laughs> um, there is a quote oh. <laughs> from William Gibson, um, author of uh, Neuromancer and uh, three of my favorite books of all time. Uh, three of my favorite novels, Pattern Recognition, Zero History, and the other one whose name I'm forgetting. Um, but the, his trilogy of modern day, not quite sci-fi novels. Um, but he very famously at one point said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, mm, which yeah, I think I like is that. is a very, very salient idea when we're talking about you know automation and re- the replacement of labor. You know, Google has self-driving cars driving around California and and I think other places. Um, we don't mm-hmm. all have them. Most people have never ridden in them, right. but they're out there. Uh, and they're going to exist in greater numbers long before they're, they're everywhere. I mean, I can still remember the first time that I saw a Prius in real life. Uh, <laughs> and at that point, you know, they'd been on the road for a while. They were out mm-hmm. there. 
And even then, I mean, that was the first time I saw one. I was like, oh, I've finally seen, finally seen this electric car everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. It was a long time before I started seeing them every day. And, and before it was a punchline. Right. And they're still not, you know, ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. They're getting there. But anyhow, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting idea. It's, um, and it's something that I think there's probably someone somewhere who is actually having more sophisticated press releases written by, by machine and just checked mm-hmm. over by a human. Um, it's just not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's some startup, it's some lab, it's some crazy programmer. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's not well, everywhere yet, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. And it happens in small ways. I'm thinking about the, the online platform that our writing center uses. It produces some, some super uh, reminder emails and stuff like that mm-hmm. because it's, it's a form letter basically that is pulling in things like the user's name, the appointment time, um, the action that happened, whether an appointment was booked or moved or deleted or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Super straightforward. I don't have to touch it. It just magically happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be silly if I had to go through and do all that manually. Oh yeah, and I think that's, I probably wouldn't do it. That's a good example of somewhere where, even as an individual, if you're if you're worried about automation, if you're like you know the pro labor person who is afraid of jobs going away because of machines, if you're not availing yourself of that kind of automation, I think you're you're just silly. Um, <laughs> It's like there are some things that you should take advantage of because, A, it's not enough to take your job away, and, B, um, you have much more important things to do. And that's a perfect example. (laughs) Templates, you know, Mm -hmm. um, schedulable recurring reminders. Mm -hmm. Um, And these, you know, don't really sound that much like automation. I mean, templates very often are something you have to do. Like if you have an email template, you're the one who has to call it up. Remember you have it, bring it up and still fill in the blanks for whatever is not templated out and Mm -hmm. then send it. But, you know, once you have it, um, I have part of my job is, uh, in my, my tall glass building where we make numbers. Um, (laughs) occasionally we have to deal with various outside government agencies or attorneys who are looking for information of various kinds. Mm. And when we do, my department is one of them that responds uh, if in the course of our search we don't find any inf- information pertaining to the request, you know, I type out a little email message to everybody on the team saying, hey, we did our search. We don't have anything. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I did that for about a month and a half before I was like, you know what? I am never typing another one of these messages saying we don't have anything ever again. <laughs> and so I made I, – I, I, we use Outlook uh, on, on that particular job. So I made a signature that has my actual signature, you know, my name and my work contact information, my title. Mm-hmm. Um, and then above it has, you know, team comma, <laughs> we don't have anything for this client. <laughs> Let us know if we can be of further assistance. And sure. so when I get one of these and I complete the search and there's nothing, I go to insert a signature and I choose the none found signature and boom, done, sent, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a thing that anybody can do. You don't have to be super tech savvy. Um, if you're using a different email program, look online. Somebody's probably made suggestions. You could always just save something in your drafts folder or as a note that you copy and paste out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, templates. I'm using a template for the editing of this audio now. Oh, fancy. Um, because we're recording on such different equipment, I always have to have our volumes adjusted differently. And mm-hmm. I have a template that has our tracks with those volumes already dialed in. Whoa. And it's already got the music. I have to move the music, but the music's in it. I don't have to go get it and then paste it in. Um, sure. And it has the volume set on the speaking track for the intro. 
um, which I have to re-record each week. And it has the it has sort of a template for all the metadata. So when I spit out an MP3 at the end, I just have to type in the number and the title. Mm-hmm. But our names Very and good. the website and everything are already in there. Mm-hmm. So nice. Yeah, and it's I mean it's not hours a week, but it saves me a few minutes a week. Mm-hmm. Again, so you can spend your attention elsewhere. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, but if you have something like an email that you send routinely and you're not availing yourself of the opportunity to automate that, you're just being silly. Mm-hmm. You're you're leaving money on the table. And by money, I mean time and money. Which is money. Yes. Time is money. <laughs> Make it rain. Um, you can edit all this out. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was thinking today, too, about... Um, so I, I can't remember what I was looking for, but... Oh, I remember. So... When I switched to, um, when I switched away from hard copy planners and started using Google Calendar, I had also started making lists using the tasks function calendar thing in in Google Calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I clicked on that the other day when I was trying to look at a different calendar. I was like, tasks, what is that? And then I opened it and I saw hundreds of, of items from <laughs> over a year ago. I was like, what is this? Oh, my God, it's my life. Um, it's what I was doing every day. Um, there's one that says email Max and Courtney. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Um, go get power cord. Uh, <laughs> that was about electricity. Oh, my God. So this was before I realized how awful Hobby Lobby was because of their political influence. But I have an item on my task list that says, go to Hobby Lobby, colon, more silver comma, floral tape. (laughs) 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 Hashtag wedding planning. Yep. Um, Uh, I like it. Um, So anyway, um, so all that is to say, I was thinking about, um, you know, I've been in Google Calendar for... Um, probably at least two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, this all started slightly before that. But I was thinking about with what my my weekly schedules look like now, I can't imagine how tedious it would be for me to capture this on paper. Mm-hmm. Like now that I've, and maybe it's just because I'm used to this way, I've adapted. But I don't know how you do that. <laughs> how do you use paper? That sounds uh, awful. You know, right there's now. there is there is an element of I wouldn't call it tedious. It's actually I I think of it more along the lines of meditative or reflective, which I would sure. because I'm using paper right now. Right. Um, no, and that's what I thought of too. I I would say though that that um, you're not wrong, and actually this is part of Carr's argument in the glass cage. You're not wrong to say that it is more tedious and. And to use the paper version, uh, and more uh, more fast and efficient and automatic to use the electronic tool for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, there are benefits the electronic one has that paper doesn't. As long as I'm looking every day and re- regularly reviewing everything that's in that notebook, um, nothing is falling through the cracks, and I'm adequately reminded of everything as it's coming up. And I have plenty of time to respond, and and you know I don't miss anything. Sure. Um, but I have to have the habit of doing that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the machine, you know, your your calendar can remind you. You mm-hmm. don't have to do anything proactive once it's in there. It will come back around of its own mm-hmm. accord and reach out and hit you upside the head um, mm-hmm. when it's time to do something about it. 
And that is a huge advantage. And actually, I do still have reminders. I have reminders in my reminders app on my iPhone, um, some of which are synced over from Outlook at work, which has some reminders. Because if I have to know to do something at a specific time, you know, I'm not going to be able to count on having a notebook open in front of me. Um, right. So I do have things that beat me <laughs> when it's time <laughs> to do something. Um, but anyhow, so so all that's true. This those are all advantages. Um, but what I what I'm doing, which is slower, which is more deliberate, mm-hmm. um, I I think it is also more reflective. There are skills I'm practicing that I didn't so much when I had. And and again, we talked about this in an earlier episode for. Uh, a little over a year after I started my current job, my system was in Outlook and on my iPhone. Like it was all right. digital, um, and I've I've gotten back to paper, and it it does several things for me. One is the physicality of a list is a little bit. It makes it a little bit easier to tell if I am putting too much on that list. Um, there mm. are physical constraints and a sense of dimensionality that, yes, you can see a hundred things on a list scrolling on a screen is bigger than three things, but it's, it doesn't have the same weight if you can just dash them off as fast as you can type as if you had to write each one down. And if you have to flip through physical pages that you paid money for (laughs) to, (laughs) to see all of them at once, um, it makes me a little bit more, more thoughtful and it, it forces things, you know, uh, one thing, um, again, for, new listeners of the show, because everyone who's listening to the show is sick of hearing this, uh, the way I manage my time is using a system called Getting Things Done, um, which comes from the book of the same title by David Allen. And one thing that he encourages um, that I always I always did do in my digital system is once a week to spend an hour or so, um, you know, shut off all your notifications, close your door if you've got one, and just review everything, go through everything, put your eyes on every item and every project and every upcoming appointment and every recent appointment to make sure you haven't left any loose threads, just to make sure you know where everything's at and that you have made any updates you need to, crossed off anything that's done, crossed off anything you're not doing anymore, add anything that you have forgot to add, um, and just get the big picture. And because it is so much slower to do that, particularly when I do have to update something on the paper Mm -hmm. one, when I stop and do my weekly review, I really do my weekly review. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is less efficient, but I also am more thoughtful about what I'm putting down. Um, And and part of it that I've become a lot better at than I was on digital, part of the weekly review process he recommends is you do go back a couple weeks and look at your recent calendar and see what you've, what you haven't captured that you're still thinking about and you look ahead as far as you need to, weeks or months out, and see what's coming up. And I don't know, when I was doing that digitally, I did it, but it was just like click, 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 done. You know, hmm. I would scroll through a couple months of stuff and barely see what was on, on the screen. Hmm. Um, on paper, though, I'm, I am much more deliberative, and I have been much better lately. Not always better at getting to it all, because I can procrastinate like anybody. <laughs> paper hasn't solved that. Um, in fact, sometimes it lets me procrastinate even better. Because uh, mm-hmm. I have one more thing to do, um, <laughs> but it's made me a lot slower and more deliberative when I am looking at and updating that future calendar, and I'm a lot more likely to put in, you know, well, if this is going to happen on the 17th, then this definitely has to happen by the 16th, and I better start on this other thing on the 13th. And oh, I've got somewhere else to be on the 13th. I should work on that over the weekend before. Mm-hmm. And those are thoughts I just would not have. You know, I would have them sometimes out of anxiety when I was in the digital system. 
but I wouldn't proactively have them because I was moving too fast and not really stopping to think about the things I was doing. Mm -hmm. So how do I do it? I don't know, but that's why I keep doing it. (laughs) No, and I hear you. And that was what I was thinking about was if I had to choose whether to slow down um, and capture something and how I wanted to capture it, then maybe the process would start out a lot more thoughtful, like Mm -hmm. you're saying. Um, But I'm wondering, too, if some of the pitfalls um, are the same no matter how it's working for you. Mm -hmm. So I certainly fall prey to, um, you know, I will put things on my calendar and get things scheduled and and put things on my, um, in the the open document where I um, capture my tasks and my projects and stuff. Right. but if I'm not, like you said, doing that review, things will just, I'll add to the top and things just keep getting pushed down and down and down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like you said, those pages can just keep generating at the bottom forever. Right. Um, and if I never scroll down to look, and even if I do scroll, I might be sort of overwhelmed and not be able to to see the whole list clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if I had things on... You know, it's easier to have things on different pages in a notebook than it is. I, I don't want to create more than one document for these things because then I would have to open them to review and, and then I'm creating another layer of friction. What if I, I forget to open that second one and I, I forget right. completely about a project mm-hmm. and I don't think about it as at the same time right. as another one? And that, um, is, that is a risk. I mean, even, you mm-hmm. know, the, the paper system, I'm saying, forces me to, to be more deliberative what it doesn't do is force me to actually do that review every week. You know, I Mm -hmm. still have to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I think that's a lot of the value of doing it just as a general, not even automation tip, but just tip for anybody. If you write things down, you keep to-do lists, you keep a calendar is, especially if you have ongoing lists, do stop and take a beat where you're not working on anything on those lists and look them over every now and then. Um, Because you will start to go blind both to how many things are on the list and to the things that are actually on it if you don't. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's just, there's a, uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with any research on this specifically, um, but I do know there's research in psychology on a phenomenon called habituation, where you get used to things that are static that you see over and over again. And mm-hmm. I think that totally happens with to-do lists and calendars. You know, it's very mm-hmm. easy if you look at that same information over and over again to stop seeing it. Yeah. You know, the stalest task on your list is likely to stay there longer than a brand new one. Because you've looked at it and not done it so many times, you don't even see it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You adapt, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, automation. Yeah. <laughs> Less thoughtful, question mark? Yeah. So we were... Robots coming, question mark? <laughs> uh, the robots are coming. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did some business with a robot this weekend, in fact. Uh, I, I bought a couple of groceries and I used an automated checkout. Uh, uh, which actually robots. on on Jason Snell and John Syracuse's Robot or Not podcast, Syracuse said that would not qualify as a robot. But okay, um, yes, that's a real podcast, and yes, that was an episode. <laughs> I'll link to it in show notes. Um, but yeah, I um I did, and that's a that's a great example. Lots of of what we're talking about when we talk about the macroeconomic and the jobs, because a lot of people who do not work in retail will say, oh, I never use the automated checkout because I don't want to take away somebody's job. What? That's... Mm. You haven't heard know. that? No, I have. I just... 
<laughs> like what? I don't know. And this <laughs> gets probably more to um, economics and politics mm-hmm. um, and things that we don't need to get into. So I guess, but I, I could still reflect generally on automation, I guess. Um, I think hating on automation, similar to hating on technological advances, um, and they're very much linked, obviously, in this day and age. Um, it seems a little dubious to me to hate the things just for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the internet, for instance, doesn't. there's nothing about it that inherently creates bullies, for instance. Mm-hmm. The bullies exist and then they use the tool. Right. Um, it facilitates bullying just the, just exactly how it facilitates commerce and it facilitates uh, collaboration <laughs> and it facilitates yes. finding people who are interested in that thing that you are literally the only person in your town who is interested in pre-internet. Yes. The same way that parchment and, and a quill ink pen could produce both of those things, mm-hmm. all of those things. Right. You know? um, yeah. So I find it a little... Uh, suspect to write off an entire phenomena mm-hmm. phenomenon. Um, so I guess, you know, and what we were talking about on the micro level, even with um, our personal productivity and project management and all this, um, I guess sort of my reflection today is that we can integrate and use these things to our advantage um, if done thoughtfully, you know, are we preserving the knowledge and skills that we want to foster in every generation of humans? Mm-hmm. Um, or are we letting some of that go by the wayside and yeah, the robots are going to take over. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, for me, I think about, um, along those same lines, um, there's a quote actually that, that David Allen uses, um, uh, to bolster his case for some of his principles in getting things done that, that actually Carr sort of cited as um, an argument from the dark side, um, which Billy might know. It's from Alfred North Whitehead, and I never knew the context, but apparently he was a mathematician, and this is related mm-hmm. to math. Um, <laughs> but he says, uh, and I'm going to do it from memory, so I'll link to it, but and apologies if I get it slightly wrong, but uh, operations of thought are like cavalry charges. They are limited in number and require fresh horses. Um, meaning Mm. that, and he was talking about, apparently, um, I'm getting this from Carr. I never knew where the source was. David Allen just, you know, puts it in the margins of his books. Um, but apparently he was, uh, Whitehead was arguing for the use of, of symbolic language and, and, you know, rules and formulas to take away some of the drudgery of, of simpler math and, and, you know, the, the difficult abstractions and make them a little bit easier so you can think about, just the really important hard problems, mm-hmm. you know, making things like addition, subtraction, division easier, more automatic, following a quick and easy process by using tools and abstractions. Mm-hmm. So you could wrestle with what those numbers meant and, and go on to the higher maths. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a question of, you know, what are you automating for? Are you looking mm-hmm. for a shortcut or writing a script or downloading a new app to do something so you can have an easier job where you just push a button all day? Because eventually that will go away. Sure. Um, the, you know, first, first they need you to weld and then they need you to operate the robot that welds and then they don't <laughs> need you at all. Um, that's mm-hmm. where that progress leads. Um, right. On the other hand, if you're doing that because 
you care immensely about a different part of the job. You mentioned specialization earlier. You know, if if you had if you had a program that would do a flawless job of a certain kind, a certain level of proofreading, and point all of the things of a certain kind out to students that you ever would and more, <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be worth it to have them, assuming assuming you don't mind that they're relying on the program, wouldn't it be worth it to have them run through that or for you to run through that and just give them that report and then spend all of your conscious time focusing on the problem that's interesting to you and where you can make a bigger difference? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That might be a shitty example because writing, I mean, it's very holistic in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. getting better at one part gets you better at other parts, I think. But mm-hmm. um, but if if what I would have given them for a specific part of a process mm-hmm. um, is just as well, right. then yeah, what else could I be doing? Right. Um, I, I thought of another related example and then I immediately just realized that it was kind of silly, um, which is if you had a program that would check all of their references and determine that every one of them, you know, whether every one of them was not only correctly formatted, but had all the right information in it and, and even maybe do a cursory check of that versus the facts cited in the paper, wouldn't that be worth mm-hmm. running? But then it occurred to me, if you had that program, they would probably have the program to write those citations as well. And then you just have like your robot and their robot would be fighting. <laughs> a robot conversation. A dialogue. <laughs> Robots, a dialogue. Yeah, indeed. Um, um, you, mm-hmm. robot. <laughs> Spelled just letter well, U. Yeah. Again, I mean, that's sort of, Yeah. I mean, we're already here. The future is here. Mm-hmm. The future's now. Right. Um, just not evenly been, distributed. You betcha. Because I, I ooh, bought groceries ooh. from a person this week, too. Not just a machine, but a person and a machine. Why didn't you just buy them from the store? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a humanist and a ro- robotinist. <laughs> Robotist. Um, no, that was very apt because the example I just thought of, too, was... Uh, uh, in our institution's online course modules, um, we have access to one of those programs that scans writing mm-hmm. for plagiarism. Oh, sure. Um, so it's pulling from a database. Uh, so basically anything available on the internet, it's, it's combing mm-hmm. through and looking for comparisons. Um, but it also will scan any other document that's ever been uploaded to this program. Smart. So you can check for, uh, for instance, dummy essays that mm-hmm. have been passed all over the internet, right? Um, or, or, or passed not on the internet, or unscrupulous paper mills that are reselling the same paper. Yeah, yeah. So if it's ever been submitted before, it will show up. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not that s- there's a paper mill that's scrupulous. I guess that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and again, another big debate. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about how, so, so I asked students to submit writing through here, um, basically as an efficiency thing for me. Um, I do not have the wherewithal to even identify with my naked eye mm-hmm. um, possible right. things. You know, I have not read enough of readily available text in the mm-hmm. world to be able to spot exact phrasings or whatever. So that is way more efficient. Um, what's interesting, though, is that students are not able to access this program to scan things themselves. Hmm, interesting. So when I, when I have students, mine or from other courses, who are genuinely concerned with what this program is going to say about their writing, like they're, they're really unsure of 
whether they've done their due diligence in, in ethical crediting practices. Mm-hmm. Um, the students don't have access to it. Only the faculty do. <laughs> so I can, I can manually upload any document mm-hmm. and run it through this thing. It doesn't have to be attached right. to an assignment in the course module. Um, I can just do, I can directly submit any document that I want to check. Um, but students can. So that made me think of too. Um, <laughs> the future is here and it is absolutely not right. equally distributed. Um, yeah, and that's that's actually that's a good that that's a good non sort of non economic example of one of the one of the problems of the not evenly distributed and and one of the things that that people you know automation's discontents um, <laughs> would argue with that I think is at least partly valid, which is its benefits are not evenly distributed. Um, yes, there are there are people with access not commensurate with their effort or their merit or their whatever. And as technology advances, that is giving them disproportionate shares of the win, you know, mm-hmm. that, that automation brings. Um, there are people who are getting leisure and wealth from automation, and there are people who are not. <laughs> and people who are equally, you know, just as impacted by it, but who are mm-hmm. only impacted by it negatively. But anyhow, so that's mm-hmm. that's this is a, a microexample, though, of where it has brought benefit to you, but it is not distributed to your students. You are the capitalists. They are the workers. And now I'm apparently digital marks. <laughs> Shoot me. Um, but the thing that the thing that occurred to me as you're saying it, though, is I can think of at least two reasons why that might be, um, which which also <laughs> might lead to other discussions on, on the ethics of automation. Uh, but one is um, anytime you have a system like that, uh, there's actually, there's a great, I always quote Roderick on the line, so here I'm going to go again. Um, what will be probably two weeks ago on Roderick on the line when this episode of ours comes out, um, they mentioned, they talked briefly about searching the internet. And and John Roderick cited the idea that usually the first search is just kind of a burner. Like any search you do, you actually do two or three searches. Um, and And he very humorously said the first thing he does is he types in a question into Google, like just as a question. Like, you know, how many cities are there in Bulgaria? You know, that kind of thing, Um, which increasingly Google will answer. Uh, But Merlin phrased it very well, though. A lot of people, I think, do this. I definitely do this. And the reason that you do two or three searches for every search you do is the first search just teaches you how the machine thinks about it. The first search is the one that teaches you what you really need to be searching for. Because either your results are completely a field and you need to start over, or you see a couple of them that are really relevant and you realize all of a sudden the word that both of those are using that you are not is a better word, sure. you know, et cetera. Or you see something that's not related at all and realize, oh, that's what I really want to look at and mm-hmm. search for something else. Um, so I think one reason why that might be a policy decision at an institution like yours is anybody who is using that system directly can learn from it, which might be valuable. You know, you want them to understand where the line is on plagiarism. I think that's why you would want them to have access to it in part. But at the same time, somebody who is trying to pull one over or teach others to pull one over, you know, Mm -hmm. if one of your students is a future paper mill employee, um, (laughs) you really don't necessarily want them to be able to test the limits of that system. And just be submitting papers willy-nilly with different levels and types of plagiarism to see what it's really good at detecting and try to suss out how it's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and that's, that is exactly the reason. That was the the um, only reason that's ever mm-hmm. been explained to me sure. for why it is that way. The other, um, the other, there's another reason I could think of too, which is, which is um, 
a lot of, I don't know about this one, a lot of tech tools like that, though, a lot of services, there is a per transaction cost. So your institution might also be like, well, we don't want everybody on campus submitting all the time because then we're paying a bigger bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that one I can't speak to. I'm not sure what the licensing is like. Um, yeah, it's more so the first one. The second one's harder to argue with. Um, <laughs> obviously, I don't run the budget. Um, not my budget. Um, yeah, if you did, the sciences building would be a lot smaller. <laughs> that is woefully untrue. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> no, you are, and that's mean. Um, that's like last week I had to... Um, um, you know, sort of jokingly chew out several of my students who want to feed me this nonsense about um, writing and math brains. I was like, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> my household disproves that on two levels. <laughs> mm. um, I'm going to anecdotally argue back with you. Um, <laughs> you know, I couldn't provide studies or whatever, but I'd rather just talk about myself sure. um, and how I'm good at everything. Well, you know, the singular of data is Katie. <laughs> Um, side note, when editing scientific documents, as I have in a previous life, um, to try to remember to get the number correct mm -hmm. for data, because it is plural, mm -hmm. I would always replace it in a sentence with the word cats. <laughs> <laughs> these cats are significant because, because you can't say these cats is significant. So then I would realize mm. these data are significant. Katie is allergic because the cats to are data. Significant. Significant cats. Um, <laughs> yes, we were talking about things. I don't run the budget. Yeah. No, and I, you know, and this, this gets back again to economics and politics, but I have to, um, my instincts go for the side of um, spreading the agency and power. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if a tool could be beneficial, let's see who, to whom it can be beneficial and, and spread that crap. Yeah. Here, mm -hmm. here. Robots are for everyone. <laughs> robots data for all. are for everyone. Robots for all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I... you get a robot, and you get a robot. Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, my big thing. I I think there will be more to talk about about this topic in the future. But I I think just kind of my big thing is, um, and and even in ways bigger than like I'm not just even thinking about like templates and little things like that. But mm -hmm. I don't know. In general, I would say. If if one is worried about their future in a world that is increasingly automated and where companies want to spend less and less money on human labor, um, mm -hmm. there's a piece I read. It was two or three years ago, and I wish I could find it. And I have Googled and Googled and Googled, and I found some similar things. I've never found the original one, which bums me out because I thought it was mm -hmm. really good. But a guy who was saying basically – he was – I think he was like a freelance programmer, and he might have specialized in security, and those two facts have not helped me find this. Um but he wrote an essay basically saying, like, you know, it's a funny thing, but the harder I work to put myself out of a job, the more that that client wants me back. Yeah. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think in a world, in a world where robots are taking away our jobs, um, in a world where we have this kind of economy and these kind of pressures to always do more with less and always utilize these technologies to replace labor, um, you know, we can argue about the the macroeconomic ethics of this, but I think it's 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 a good skill to have to be able to take labor out of things, to be able to make work disappear. 
Um, and to this guy's point, if you are the kind of person who turns in a project, a programming project, that is, is you know, very efficient and well-written and easy to maintain and clearly documented so anybody could come in and clean up after or make changes in the future and, you know, you basically write yourself out of a job. You make sure there's no need to have you back. That's actually a really valuable thing to that client. Mm-hmm. The next time they need somebody, they're going to call you because they know you're not going to, like, do some BS nickel and dime thing where, you know, well, yeah, I'll get this up and running for you, but if you ever need anything adjusted on it, it's going to be another hundred grand. Sure. Um, you know, that's valuable. Uh, and that's something that I, my last couple, you know, big long-term real jobs, I'm always thinking about. And it's, I'm not, I don't have the technical skill to just program my way out of a job. But mm-hmm. I am always looking for ways to make stuff that I do disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know... You know, yes, if I did that too well, I would be out of a job, but chances are very good somebody would notice somewhere along the way and say, wait a minute, this guy is really, really good. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. need him. We need, Mm -hmm. you know, the last human who's going to have a job is going to be the one who makes all the other jobs disappear, which is sort of Mm. cynical and and Darwinian. But um, for the moment in the economy, it's a good quality to have, you know, being able to apply automation to your own work. Mm Mm-hmm. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Um, yeah, and, and last thought, I'm okay with automated checkout machines because... I don't think smashing my produce should be a job. Grr. <laughs> As they say, that's the worst. Oh my gosh, I get so angry at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. In part, it's because I've worked in grocery stores, so I know it is not that hard <laughs> to do it right, and it is not that, I mean, it's boring, it's tedious, it's kind of demeaning, but it's not any more of those things to do it right than to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's less boring to sack my groceries properly than it would be to just throw them all into a bag. Idiot. Mm-hmm. I get so angry. Rough stuff. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm that oddball that always goes for the automated checkout. I don't think you're alone either. No, I'm I'm definitely not. I'm less alone than I used to be. Um Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's for me and the robots. Isn't it great that we're all better people? <laughs> <laughs>